Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free. And inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Hello and welcome to There's Life After Funding Denial. I'm Alana Lanier, Alana Rams Banana. If you have an American accent, if you don't, it does not. I'm the founder of Team Toad House and Toad House Games. Toad House Games is a visual novel indie game studio, and I'm sure by the title you can guess we didn't get funding. So we're going to go around the room and just have a quick introduction from everyone. Uh, Glenn, you're next on my screen. Take it away. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Glenn. I am an indie developer and the face and fingers behind Spriton Studios. We are a micro studio based out of Kingston, Jamaica. Um, and as you might have guessed on my current project, I didn't get funding. <laughs> Maya, go ahead, you're next. Sure, I'm Maya, I'm the community manager for Team Toad House, uh, which is also part of Toad House Games. We're a self-care clubhouse, uh, and we aim at uh, fostering a self-care focused community to hopefully then sell our games as well. Jake, go ahead. I'm Jake. I'm a game designer in the suburbs of Philadelphia and uh, primarily a solo studio. And I have never successfully fully funded a game. Uh, so here I am to talk about how to do things on a shoestring budget. And Danny, wrap it up. I'm Danny Silver, CEO of Lantana Games, and I'm also broke. <laughs> we have something in common. <laughs> Oh, can't wow. ask for a better wrap-up than that. Lovely. Right. So what we're going to start with is uh, a story of a time we applied for funding and didn't get it. So you kind of get a, a spectrum of all the ways you can get denied funding. So I'll go first. Um, in September, Toad House Games. So we're making a game called Call Me Sarah. Sarah is C-E-R-A. Um, it's a wholesome game about making friends as an adult. It's a very diverse, LGBT-friendly cast, a female lead. Um, it is a fledgling indie studio. So um, we didn't get funding. I, I, If I were to do it again, I would do it differently. So part of it is on me. Um, there were things that, that were in my control that I could have done better, but there were a lot of things out of my control. But that's not what this panel is about. It's about what happened after. So. Um, just side note on the during though, during it is okay if it's completely stressful. Like those stress nightmares when you're dealing with money and funding and stuff, it's, ugh, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible, like mm -hmm. horrible. But anyway, we didn't get funding. Um, we're making the game anyway. So I was talking to uh, Nelson, who uh, makes dog a dog airport game and a bunch of others, if you're um, unfamiliar. Uh, he has a panel. I think it was yesterday that he had a panel or he was on a panel. He suggested um, that I reuse art assets and I make smaller games in the same world. And I kind of ran with that idea. So we have a handful of vignettes coming out this year that reuse the music and art assets from the main game while we work up to making the main game that will give us a little bit of money as we sell those vignettes. They're like their own full-fledged games. 
uh, but they're just shorter than the main game. And we're using that money to fund further the main game so we can put hopefully cool things like VO and such into the main game that's coming out next year. Um, the other thing is we have a very enthusiastic community, which I'll let Maya talk more about that. But our community between Twitch and Patreon, they've been helping us out monetarily and with their time because they play test for us. That's something that needs to be addressed. Um, we also got a very generous, no strings attached donation of $3,000, which that set us up for contracts to make sure everyone's paid correctly and is protected. That paid for our trailer, which can go to our Kickstarter, that will also go on our YouTube. And without a trailer, who who cares about the game? You know, you need some things to set up. So without that $3,000, like that paid for a lot of the art, it paid for the trailer, it paid for the contracts. That setup really set us up really good. And then finally, a lot of people don't address it because there's a lovely myth of the solo, what's the word, a tour? The, the fancy word sure, for yeah. a tour <laughs> myth, which um, you get help. No one's an island. So whether or not you're ready to admit it, everyone gets help from everything, even if it's just a person paying for rent while you figure this out or like helping you, roommates, etc. I have a partner who as a Christmas present said, while you're working on this game for the next year, I will pay for rent. So I have rent and food on the table thanks to my partner. We have the $3,000. And uh, I have a great community, and that's how we're getting this game done, as well as creative, lowering scope, and reusing assets. Glenn, um, okay. would you like to go next? Okay. Um, so mine is kind of like this convoluted backstory, but I got into game development very, 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 very much buying into the idea of that mythical uh, auteur. Right? Like in the game, the movie was like my inspiration. Um, we don't have. Uh, formal industry here in Jamaica. So a lot of that is me going out and finding information and testing out things. So I've done, you name an indie mistake, I've probably done it. Built your own engine? Yep, that's me, waste of four years. First game was a roguelike, a big action roguelike, kind of, kind of mimicking Binding of Isaac. So I went through that. So I'm learning as I go. Um, so even the idea of approaching um, publishers and pitching things. That's new to me, like really and truthfully. I didn't try my hand at it officially until like last year as part of the GDC initiative. So I can hit the ground running, reach out to my network, leverage my education because I have a formal out of MBA and try to, so I'm used to, despite being an introvert, kind of putting on that persona and trying to sell yes. myself. Right? So I tried my hand at that. It didn't go through. I learned a lot. I learned how to talk about my game to people. I learned how to kind of package it. And yeah, that part is useful, but just the idea of making it without having funding or dirt funding is something I'm kind of already used to. So it's kind of looking at it from like the outside in. I mean, you bootstrap, you find templates for your website, you you know host pages on your website on GitHub pages if you can. And just just all those tips and tricks to kind of keep things going and fail fast on you know all the usual entrepreneurial buzzwords. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, my current project is Quest Pocket, which is a mobile RPG kind of kind of trying to. Could you say that name once again? I missed it. Questlight Pocket is my What's current it? project, and it's a mobile RPG trying to simplify and without getting too simple, like Monster Hunter into a mobile experience, right? And I'm exploring ways in which of getting that out there and building up my community and 
making sure that you know it's sustainable because that's one one of the major things that i've been trying to chase through all my years of game dev sustainability so yeah that's me i'm really just a bag of mistakes trying to make make things work um, i can relate <laughs> <laughs> Maya, would you like to go next? Right. So my Alana hired me to fix her bag of mistakes. No, I'm kidding. Um, so <laughs> not wrong. So so back in December, she hired me as community manager, uh, and the Team Toad House community. Uh, what we do is sort of foster a healthy, self-care-focused community uh, for gamers, uh, with the goal of this community is the same audience as our games. So if this community works out, they'll buy, our, they'll be invested in us. They'll buy our games, support our Kickstarter, etc. Even playtest our games. We've been playtesting the vignettes, uh, and we asked people, and they were very excited to playtest our games because they're so invested uh, in our community. As I said, it's self-care focused and mental health. So we encourage everyone to talk openly about mental health. Uh, but as Call Me Sarah is about healthy boundaries, to do that in a healthy way. Um, so not only do you have the members to sort of be healthy, not overshare, not uh, sort of make us our, their therapist. We, that's the, basically the first rule. Like, we're not your therapist. Alana and I, we're not trained professionals, nor should we be made uh, someone's therapist. But we're, we'll still be uh, supportive. So what we mostly do is like, give people tools sort of on how to take better care of yourself, feel better. Uh, if people are very stressed, we often recommend to journal because that can get your mind decluttered as opposed to like, oh, you can DM me because allowing people in your DMs uh, sort of invites an unhealthy relationships potentially, which is not uh, what we want. Because in the end, we're both just humans as well. We need to take care of ourselves as much uh, as the community. Uh, so as I said, we're, this community, they're going to be invested in our game uh, and us when we launch our Kickstarter and release our games, they'll hopefully buy our games. Uh, and that Kickstarter, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they will buy our games. No, um, I'm here with hopefully too. I'm sitting here like, yes, please. <laughs> Go on, sorry. Uh, Kickstarter. No, don't worry. <laughs> We're launching a Kickstarter uh, on May 10th, Mario Day. Uh, so please look forward uh, and pledge if you can. Yes. Thank you, Maya. Uh, Jake, go ahead. So where to start? I've, I've done a shoestring budget for all my stuff. So I guess the beginning is probably the first time that I really dealt with this. Um, I made my first game uh, right after I dropped out of a PhD program. Um, pretty much just bootstrapped it on the heels of whatever funding that I had for my PhD. And by funding, I mean student loans. Um, I was also running a crafting studio at the time, so I, I amped up all my work on crafting, making like glassware, decals, t-shirts, that sort of stuff. Um, so partially funding through that, partially funding through whatever leftover rent money, and I lived with my partner. So I knew that if if I couldn't come up with the rent, I wouldn't be homeless. Yeah. Um, and not having to worry about that makes a big difference. It allows me to take creative risks. Yes. Um, so I did all that and then, uh, sold really well at the first event that I ever went to and did nothing else with that game. I didn't sell anything online. So when you make games, you hope to have some sort of like financial buoyancy to go from one project to the next. You make one, you do okay. You find the next one, you do okay. You find the next one. 
maybe at some point you have outlier success and you're comfortable for a lot longer than that. Uh, but usually you pretty much just go from one project to the next. Um, so I didn't have the funding that I expected to have to make another game. Um, so I started focusing on game jams and my next game came from a game jam. And rather than spend the same uh, like 13 months that I spent on my first game, I released my second game in like two weeks. Uh, and I was like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be out there. And I, I just, I brought it to events and was like, here's the one that I made for like 13 months. And here's the one that I made in two weeks. And everybody loved the shorter one. Of like, course they did. Why did I spend 13 months the first one? Um, which taught me a really important lesson. Um, so when you don't have the funding that you expect to have, that's not going to prevent you from releasing a game, right? It's going to give you less to work with in terms of like where you can make sacrifices and what, what you can choose to spend. Um, and you won't get everything that you want. Like when I first released my second game, I hated the art. I hated it so much, but it was done. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I did revisions to that game over the next nine months. I didn't like re-release it or like do new events or whatever, but I'm like, I overhauled art, all the art. So if you have like the first version, you just have the first edition that, version that I don't yes. like. It's like the first edition. It's like the zeroth copy sort of thing. Um, but you can, you can continue releasing things if you're willing to make sacrifices about what that thing has to be. So I learned that lesson really quick. Um, and I made it work. And that game is 10 times as popular as my first game. Good for you. And Danny, tell us, tell us a tale. <laughs> oh, again, much like Jake, where do I begin? Um, so we released a game called Mondrian Abstraction and Beauty back in 2015. Um, it wasn't a two week game, but it was a five month game. It was a very short development cycle. And that game ended up getting shown at the Smithsonian. It ended up selling 20,000 copies. It ended up being our biggest hit to date. Um, and people were like, this is an awesome game, but it needs a level editor. And I'm like, you know, I don't disagree because all the levels are baked into code. So let's go make a sequel with a level editor. Um, so took a couple years and made a sequel with a level editor. And I was hoping you know, that we'd be able to ride on the success of the first game in order to entice funding on the sequel. Um, the sequel got 30 to 40 publisher rejections and recently had a grant rejection and it has been a major uphill struggle. Uh, the whole time we released it in September to generally positive reviews but piddling sales um marketing was practically non-existent as, as much as i pushed but like the the marketing rules are completely different now than they were five years ago mm. um and you know we just didn't have the funding for any of that um but the plan right now is to essentially pivot the game into a little bit of a live events platform um, because it, it's actually already built to kind of handle that kind of thing. There's an in-game art museum. And in the midst of this pandemic, I ended up, I'm an, I'm an art school kid. And so in the midst of this pandemic, I ended up going to some alumni Zoom rooms and there were art curators in there who were talking about how 
um, their world had just been completely shut down. There are no galleries, there are no museums, no anything. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have an art museum. I can host other artists in there other than the ones that are playable in our game, why not? Um, and so that was what the, uh, the grant application uh, was about. And that was like 25, 30 pages long. You know, I spent a month writing that up and that got rejected. And that was from my hometown, no less, to try and get the arts community here interested in that because some art galleries have shut down here as well. Um, the city shot it down because we were asking for too much money. It turns out they can only handle grants of like $500. And I'm like, uh, $500 in game development is going to buy me a cup of coffee. Yeah. So <laughs> that, one that person for one week. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I can maybe work with that if I just crunch and never sleep. But I promised myself after college that I would get sleep every night. So it's, um, yeah, still, still an uphill struggle, but mm -hmm. surviving. And we've got a product out and it's a product that, you know, at the very least I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that I think has a lot of possibilities going for it. I mean, so we are actually, you know, doing a pretty cool thing. I got reached out to by a, a tabletop game developer um, with a game called Mondrian Blocks. And uh, our game is Mondrian Plastic Reality. And so he was like, um, should we collab on something? And I was like, well, Pete Mondrian's birthday is coming up. Do we want to do a giveaway? And so we set up a Gleam.io page and that giveaway is up to like four or 500 entries right now and going through Sunday. So, you know, hooray for giving away copies of a game that's already made no money. <laughs> but sometimes you can't even give it away. You I know. Really, you can I know. Give it away. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the tabletop game is definitely a great value add in that. So it's it's nice to be able to build that kind of bridge at the very least mm -hmm. and you know you know both games that honor <clears throat> you know a very cool artist that really influenced a lot in terms of art and architecture in the 20th century so it's nice to be able to build up these business relationships and push things in in new directions that you can never expect well said and you bring up a good point there's a lot of time and money put into things that might not come to fruition. Like we have a lot of myths in our industry of people refinancing their mortgages or like they worked really hard and it was only that it's all, there's always other stuff going on, but the time and the money that goes into grant applications and their pitch deck to send to publishers. And then mm -hmm. if you want to like, go further and even customizing a title page, it's still time. Even if it's 10 minutes, it's still extra time that especially if you're a smaller indie team is then taken away from making the darn thing. So yeah. like, <laughs> and that's the, point. that's the worst part, especially when you're on a, like a one to five person team, anytime somebody has to get pulled away to go do something other than making the game, that is kind of a value <clears throat> risk right there. Even a convention. Cause you know, a, a lot of the times you have to ask yourself, is this convention really worth yeah. the time and money just to show off like an alpha or a beta project mm -hmm. when, you know, it's costing us one to $5,000 to go there. And that's a significant chunk of change that is really should go toward programming. So, but then you're like, yeah, but it's going toward marketing. So 
maybe yeah. we do have to earmark this. So it, it yeah. It's definitely yeah, a fighting. plateau thing. Sorry, yeah, we, we ran into that on a very small scale recently with the game jam where um, we spent 10 days making a really small game. And uh, near the end, we're like, well, how do people know that our game exists? Should we do a trailer? Um, and we decided yes. And that trailer mm -hmm. took six hours from one person from a game jam. Like that's that's almost a whole day of game jam work. Um, and we had to decide like, is it worth it to do that? And like, yes, <laughs> it, it was. Uh, because like the rest of your work doesn't matter if nobody knows that it exists. Yes. So like marketing is important. You, you do have to do that. And I think making that cut, um, prematurely can, can really mess up your project. Mm. But that brings us to what we were <clears throat> discussing when we were discussing what we we're going to talk about during this panel. One of the things that we wanted to talk about is what we would like to see. And one of the things is prototype funding. So. Feel free to talk on that. Who would like to start? Oh my God, prototype funding. I wish it was easier to get prototype funding because we always want to fund people who are already successful. True. Like, oh, you did this thing and are already in a position to do another thing. Here's more money to make that happen. When like, we, I think we should be doing the opposite. We should be funding people who are unproven, people who haven't made stuff, people who are like more marginalized than that because they're the ones who really need funding and we'll see like new things when that happens. Where does that come from? Who's gonna Who's gonna do that? I don't know. I think those type of funds probably have to come out of educational institutions or, or like government, uh, some some mix between the two. Um, one of the things that I kept on hearing when I was trying to pitch my idea is like they like the idea, but they wanted to see an alpha and yes. they want to show them a vertical slice. They're like, okay, no, need this more. So basically, over my my route of pitching, I accidentally ended up making the game. Right. Because, because <laughs> <laughs> Every time I'm talking to somebody, it's like, oh, this is cool. Can, when can we see it? I'm like, okay, I do my When are you going to pay me to make it? Yeah. So I ended up just doing it in the fringes, and then I get a, get a quotation from my a contractor for the audio, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. I want, you, I want you on this, and then I get you for one track, and then I want you to do more, but I have to juggle and move our own things to make this happen. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I've. I've heard um, stories like that where, like, somebody say we'll be making a game for. Uh, I'll, I'll just throw a name out there. Let's say Facebook, you know, and and so you know, Facebook is like, hey, this is cool, but we want to see a prototype, and so they go make a prototype, and then they want X, Y, and Z, and you know, added into it before they'll give it money, and then a year later they're still making demands for X, Y, and Z before they give money, and then they back out of the deal. And it's like, that is not how this works. And, and people in games need to realize that you are a business person. At a certain point, you have to put your foot down and you have to say, stop yanking my chain, pay me or you're not getting this project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely understand that. But the same breath, I think, especially for like past year, people have been extra risk averse. So, True. Uh, it's, it's it's yeah you know it's this little True. seesaw moment, but I, I get it. it. It's definitely frustrating, um, it really especially is. when you're hearing rejection after rejection after rejection. Is like uh, and there are jumps into it, like the RGDA Foundation launched the Diverse Games Developer Fund, which is specifically exactly. for prototypes. So there are people who agree with what we're saying and they're working towards it. But I do agree that there needs to be more. Yeah. So 
I'm glad you brought up the diversity fund because I think that was really great. And when you read through it, it's, it's really interesting because that particular fund is looking for like different models of sustainability for developers and creators. And I think that's what we need more of because it's trying to move away from, you know, the general ad driven um, you know, direct sales model to see if there are other opportunities for people that you know, exist on the web. Mm. I think more people need to do that. I recognize saying all of that, especially after the bunch of funds that just went out last year regarding the, around the whole BLM thing. Um, there are a lot of opportunities there, but in the same breath, I'm, I haven't necessarily heard who has necessarily benefited from it in the short term at the very least. That's a good point. <laughs> I didn't really think about that before, but that's a very good point. Um, and then speaking of like, Furthermore, than grants, as I think Danny was saying, how the government, like government, usually grants come from a government or from like a nonprofit or type deal. I know in the United States we don't care about art or whatever, so whatever. But Maya, would you like to tell us about how Europe's doing? Yeah. The Netherlands does well, great. <laughs> yeah, the Netherlands isn't so bad. Well, so I'm still a student, uh, so that means the government funds my uh, education in this country. They're, they're generous enough that I, I get to eat and have a roof. And that means I get to work for Team Toad House for a very minimum pay while still, you know, eating and uh, having a home. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that the Dutch government does have a fair few sort of uh, art funds for new projects, which also includes uh, games. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. Only. Sounds nice. It must be, must be real nice. <laughs> the, the United States will never have anything close to that. <laughs> well, uh, we can hope. Oh yeah. Um, Canada's right next door. <laughs> and Canada has it, so you know we can just we'll all go drive over to Canada. We'll say hi to just, Osama. Just like that, they won't care. No, I, I, I speak un peu de, de français, but <laughs> I think if you don't say that, they might let us in. If the moment you try to say that, they'll be like, "No, they'll be like your accent's terrible. Get out." Yeah, and if you say that, you're not allowed in France anymore either. <laughs> yeah, <that's true>. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that we'd like to see is more development options. We've listed some examples of funding pools, platform grants, subscription crowdfunding like Patreon and Kofi. Would anyone like to elaborate? Have we talked about that? I just want to give a moment. Well, I think when it comes to subscription crowdfunding, this is this is weird for game developers because we can go for such a long amount of time without delivering anything. And 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 like with with Patreons and such, y you have to deliver something every single month. 
And in game development, it doesn't quite work like that, especially if, you know, you're a small team and you had to go to some event or, you know, you're like me and your desktop died on you and you don't really have a okay. development environment at the moment or, you know, all, all these kinds of things can happen versus, you know, somebody who's like a photographer or, or making music or, or something like, like kinds of art that have much faster turnaround times than, um, than games. You don't actually have to do uh, monthly stuff on Patreon. There's another option where you can receive you funding could. every time that you make a thing. True. But the downside to that is that when you make now it, you're thing, waiting three years. To, no, to it reminds it. people that they're subscribed to you, and then they're like, "Oh, I wasn't expecting that," and then they unsubscribe, and you get a lot of yeah. like drop off from your uh, from your subscriber base. Yeah, so, so that's that really not a good model. Regarding regarding the crowdfunding, well, not so much of crowd crowdfunding, but this is specifically towards like Patreon and so bad. Mm. Um, one of the things that I wanted, to, I've been trying to explore more in terms of an alternative sustainable model, right? Um, indies are closer to artists than programmers, at least in my, from my pocket definition, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at ways in which traditional artists, digital artists, illustrators, you know, are able to sustain themselves going forward, even just contract work and, you know, all the things like that, how that can translate into the indie game dev space, right? Mm -hmm. And then I run smack dab into the Epic Apple situation, which is funny enough, you can't use Patreon to fund almost any of your mobile games, at least to my knowledge. If somebody knows differently, message me on Twitter really? and tell me how I am. Yeah, um, there, was, there was some kerfluffle the other day in that pretty much all income has to happen through the storefront. You can't allow other players to get benefits or anything in the game through alternative means. Could you make it that they are funding your studio and not your game? That's what you have to do. So that's what a number of the other developers do. They have like a like a little little fund the studio or this is not a battle pass or stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Funding options. But it's Funny that you know, as a indie, you run into this this small this um edge case implication that can mean so much because right. I can imagine Patreon being adapted for a mobile game pretty pretty successfully. I I can see that path happening, right? Right. I mean, it's basically almost a web comic model, like a micro games as a service kind of solution. Mm. So just being aware of that opportunity makes you like pay attention to the industry a little bit more. Yeah. Right. So you you kind of like you start paying attention to Epic. Epic is not just this abstract um, entity that may or may not publish your 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 game. It's now okay. They may be advocating for my interests. I should probably pay attention to this. That's a good point. Like you think that with little indies, we're like five, ten tops people. Mm -hmm that we could just go about our business. But no, things that happen with the major players in the industry affect us too. And so that's another sink of our time that we need to keep on top of the news. Mm -hmm. A lot of reading. Yeah. And the Epic thing actually went the other way around for indies mm -hmm. where Apple responded by killing off all links to web pages. So a lot of indie games just died because they no longer have links back to HTML inside of their games. 
Lovely. Quick question from the audience. Axonian Games wants to know, how did you get your game to showcase at the Smithsonian? It's something they've never heard of before. Um, so the event was called Indie Arcade Coast to Coast back in 2016. Um, so this was hosted uh, at the Smithsonian. I don't know if the Smithsonian like funded it directly or it was just, you know, it just happened to be at the Smithsonian. But it was like a little mini games expo that was at uh, the Smithsonian uh, American Art Museum, uh, just a little one-day thing, but just just so much fun. It was so great. It was quite an experience. And I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I showcased Breaker Blocks that year at that exact same time. Oh my uh, God! Wait, how far away from you were? <laughs> how, how, far, how far away? They were actually oh, both based just like no that. Yeah, um, <laughs> the whole thing's a blur. You know, if you want to find out more, you're going to want to find Chris Totten on Twitter. Yes, um, yeah. he's one of the organizers for that. I don't know if they're like. I, I think they did it one more year, and then I don't know what happened to it after that. I don't know. It's a good yeah. question. Well, now that we've complained and said all the bad things, let's give them some advice, shall we? Since there is life after funding, you do can you can still make the game in theory. It might not be the game that you originally set out to make, but you can make it. So we made a quick list. I'm going to say one, and then we can elaborate, rinse, repeat. So uh, number one is, and I it sounds tongue in cheek, but honestly, it helps. Have money in case they say no. Yeah. Fund it yourself. Just be rich, yep. and you don't have to do it. But anyone care to elaborate? Invest in GameStop. No. Like personally, I I had refinanced and managed to get just a little bit extra, and then I kind of use that and budgeted that aside mm. for any miscellaneous contract work or anything tied mm. to that. Even things like that can work. It can help you string out and get you to where you go if you at least have the experience and the clarity of the end goal. True. But yeah. definitely what you just said, you need to have a plan if you do something like that. If you're going to mortgage against your house, your car, et cetera, or pull mm -hmm. out a small business loan, <clears throat> anything mm -hmm. like that, you really do need to, as Glenda said, have a game plan. Otherwise, money yeah. can be spent. Yeah, it's more than just like believing in the game, like that that myth, like, oh, this game is great, it's going to blow up. It's, it's a bit more than that. You have to be realistic, right? Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. Number two, have a rich family member who like you. Marry rich, win the lottery, have a dead grin. You see where we're going with this. Um, I will elaborate to push this a little further to a more, um, not realistic, but like common situation. Have a partner who has a steady job who can pay rent while you make the game, like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyone else care to elaborate? Yeah, like I said earlier, students in a European country uh, and funding <laughs> from the government to, for your education. <laughs> My eyes are reflexing. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate that you know, with with games being an artistic business, that things swing a little bit more toward the artistic side than the business side. You know, normally when somebody's running a startup business, you know, you think like, oh, you know, they're, they're going to have a customer, you know, customer or two coming in every single day and, you know, so that they can contribute to their household life. Right. But games being so arts focused and and so unknown about, you know, is anybody else but you going to be interested in what you're building? 
Mm-hmm. Um, the opportunities are so few and far between that you do need to rely on things like a spouse who can cover the rent or moving back in with your family or, you know, doing whatever you can to eliminate those overhead costs from your life. So yeah, yeah. living is yeah. expensive. It is. Yeah. We have a question from the audience. Mr. Cookie says, uh, how was your mental state post rejection for the game? What did y'all do to work through it? I'll start. It was in the garbage. I already don't have a great mental health state. I, I work really hard and I, I, I've got mental illnesses. So, you know, I know how to deal with that, but like that plus, to me, it wasn't the rejection. So prior to being in the game industry, I was an actress. Being rejected on a daily, like auditions are just a practice, uh, an art of being rejected. I'm fine with the rejection. It wasn't that. It was the pressure because I. it wasn't just me making it. I had an artist, I had a musician, and I had a community manager. And now I've got even more people. I've got a translator and sensitivity readers. But those three were the ones that I had when we were going out for funding. And I felt nauseous every single time we got a rejection because I wanted so badly to pay them what I thought they were owed in the industry since that so rarely happens. I wanted to be the person to be like, yes, you do you you, you do, do deserve to make money from what you love doing. And this is how much you deserve to make. You can make a living wage. Like I so wanted that. And every rejection, it wasn't about me or my game or my ego. It was like, I can't give them what I want to give them. I felt nauseous, like <clears throat> the nightmares. The the oh, it was it was terrible. Just just take the worst of the worst and just lay it on me. That that's what it was like. How about you? How's everyone else? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Everything that you outlined, Rawabo, is kind of why I I prefer to kind of keep the teams really small and keep them contract based. I don't like spreading the risk around in that way, right? Um, I much rather that. When I contract somebody, they get their money and get what their value, get what they're owed. If they want to add in, if they want to give me a discount, that's great. I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. But I'm, I don't feel comfortable spreading that risk around. Right? Yeah. Um, as in terms of just dealing with it, I have my own mental baggage, but like, I don't know. I think it's quantity after a while. Like, you kind of develop this kind of thickish skin outside of that abstract nebulous idea that like, maybe my idea is actually trash. Um, yes. through that idea, um, you kind of you kind of learn not to take it too personal, which is hard because it's a creative endeavor. It is personal. It is like this outcropping of of some components of yourself. But I don't know. It, it, don't read Steam reviews past six p.m. Good advice. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Yeah, thick skin is definitely a very important part. Um, you know, whether it's that you got rejected uh, for auditions in a past life, or you got rejected for dates all the time in high school or whatnot, life is a series of rejections, and you have to be able to take the punch and then put your shoulders back and say, "All right, moving on." I know that. Um, when you present to a publisher, you want to present one budget. It's like, this is the exact, you know, penny amount that we need in order to make this game. On the back end, I always have a $0 budget that, you know, with that handy, I say, you know, what can I make this game into if I don't have any money? And what can I make this game into if I get the, you know, 300,000 that I'm looking for to make it happen? Um, and yeah, the, the $0 version 
uh, is very scoped down. But then oddly, I find myself being able to come closer to like a hundred fifty or two hundred thousand dollar version just based on time and effort, even without the money. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> once you know what you're doing, you're kind of like, do I even really need the money people coming at me? <laughs> or, you know, should I really just like scrape together whatever pennies I can, right? focus solely on marketing, and then just stress myself out to make a game? <laughs> right? All of a sudden, you're like, hmm, that cut hmm. that they take in perpetuity. Yeah, like, that's what it feels The life after funding development is really just being like, guess what? You need to be self sufficient n- no matter what. Because <laughs> yes. this, this industry will eat you alive. And, you know, it, it's a matter of are you going to be able to climb out of the muck or are you going to let it swallow you? Well said. Yeah. I, so there's there's like two things that I've gone through when uh, my stuff hasn't done as well as I hoped it would. Um, the first you both kind of touched on is like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? If I don't, I don't have any money, what am I going to do? Um, and going through that means that you have to have an answer to that question. And it's usually not as bad as you think. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Well, I don't know. I can get a different yeah, job. I can go work in the gig economy, which sucks, but it'll like pay the bills. I can move in with my parents. I'm not going to be homeless. Like the worst case scenario is not as bad as you think it is most of the time. You can probably get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question is like, well, maybe I've already made my best stuff. Maybe my best work is behind me. And the only ideas that I have left now are not good. And that's why they're not getting funding. That's why people aren't buying them. Oh no. Um, and that's another question that's like really important to get through. Uh, because if you are here to make games, they're not. The best ideas are not behind you. You are a game developer, not because you have made a game. You are a game developer because you make games. Well it is an ongoing verb that you do over and over and over again. And you're guaranteed to make more stuff. Is your next project going to be better than your last project? Not necessarily, but you'll make good things in the future. Like that's what you're here for. So I, I think when you go yeah. through those two things, like you come out a better person at the time. Jake carried me on a roller coaster a while ago. Like I, I, you hit me in the stomach with that question because it's not something I actively considered, and then you gave me an outlet at the end, and that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at this. We're all learning. It's great. Uh, you touched upon the next one. Have a day job. It, there's no shame in having a day job. I don't know where we came up with this, like, you must only do game dev or you must only be an actor. Back when I was an actor, you must only do this. Like, having a day job, no harm in it. You just have to be really careful about crunch and time management and all of that when you do it. That's all. Anyone like to add something? I the The thing I will add to that uh, is sort of the reason why we think it, it's such a bad idea to have a day job. And that's because game development is so difficult. Uh, but lately we have seen tools getting added to games, namely like node-based programming that help game developers speed up the process of getting things done. Mm-hmm. Epic's got their new like MetaHuman tool that's coming into uh, Unreal Engine, for instance. You know, like, oh my God, character modeling. You're telling me that I could basically just take a like Elder Scrolls or, or, or Mass Effect style character creator, make my characters, and then just 
put them into my Unreal powered game, oh my god, I'm going to sign up. Um, stuff like that lowers the barrier not only to entry, but to continued development by a lot. And there's some people out there who are purists and will insist that you need to model every character from the ground up. You need to make your own game engine. You need to, you know, uh, just, just make everything proprietary. The truth mm -hmm. of the matter is you don't. There is a limit, obviously, between like an asset flip and a completely, you know, 100% purist game. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, being able to find that sweet spot that helps you save on time and money um, means that you can make a game that you are proud of much faster. Yeah. Which brings us to our next piece of advice, get creative. Reusing assets from the other games, like what we're doing with our vignettes, our music and our arts being reused, even though it's going to the main game. So the story and the choices are going to be like the thing, but the art's the same for the most part. Um, and then selling other things to fund the main project, just getting creative with how you use these assets that you've paid for. Anyone open a merch that? store. Yes, open um, a merch store. You know, Redbubble, Streamlabs, um, there's there's lots of options out there for you to make print on demand kind of stuff and you have if you have good art that goes on a t-shirt there's no reason to not have t-shirts and especially socks if you can get custom socks people will get custom socks you're right another thing i just want to add on to you know the get creative thing is um when you're working on games sometimes you tend to think of a project as the, the be all end all but like Jake mentioned, you are a game developer. You you are basically a business in yourself. So there are other ways of, you know, navigating that space. One of the strategies and things that I've been thinking of, or I have actually used, is my backlog of games that are not necessarily super successful. I can showcase to other people and say, hey, I can do this, and contract work comes in. Yes. And that is another avenue that is viable um, because your backlog becomes a portfolio. Right? Yes. You're always improving, you're always building on that. So that's something to also consider. Yes, 100%. That's part of the reason why we're making the vignettes. Because we're a fledgling indie studio, we've all worked on separate things like elsewhere, but it's Toad House Games' first foray. So rather than just coming out with this is our one game, we have the vignettes that we can more easily do because they are shorter games. And then people know what to expect from us. We can use it as a portfolio. We can use it as proof that you can trust us with your money, that you can buy our game, what to expect, et cetera. Having a backlog even of unsuccessful games is so valuable, 100%. Let's see what else is on here. Mm -hmm. um, Self-funding, grants and Kickstarters. I think we already mostly touched on it, but anything to add about grants and Kickstarters? Um, just because one grant turns you down doesn't mean there aren't other grants and you now have a 25 to 50 page document that covers everything that you need. So just keep your eyes open and then find replace all is a very powerful tool. So, you know, any wording you need to go like, you know, the first grant was one name, just go change the name of the grant that you mentioned in there and, you know, do your research, do your homework, and send it off. And just keep trying. Yeah, reuse the assets even mm. in the grant application. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but that, you, you, they're joking about that, but that's actually pretty important because when you have to draft, draft that grant document, right, you are critically thinking about, about your game in a different way. You're thinking about your game in the way that, you know, a business person might be thinking about it. It may just be, you know, 
a looter shooter because you love looter shooters. But when you're talking to that that publisher, you're like, hey, this is a first-person experience that explores XYZ in this dynamic and highlights this experience. And that is now a byline for your marketing. Yes. So speaking of merch stores, Indie Game Business wants to know from Discord. Oh, someone asked from Discord. This makes sense. Which print-on-demand stores have you had success with and which ones suck? How do you know about the quality of the goods before you sign up with them? Before you sign up with them, I'm not sure, but I always order a sample of every single little thing before I make it public to the people. So I'll be, I'll order myself, our mug, our shirt, et cetera. And then if I feel comfortable that that's a good quality product, then I'll put it on our thing. Um, how about all you? If um, you can't afford to do that, um, read reviews of other people who've done the same thing and you know, pretty much go on blind faith. The worst thing you'll have to do is shut down that merch store and open it up somewhere else. Yeah, that's not the worst thing that will happen. The worst thing that will happen is people will steal all of your art and then sell your work under their name. And now you have to chase everybody down with DMCA's and lawyers. So right. that's why you don't use Redbubble because their process is not very good for doing that. I have had my art stolen so many times. Um, oh. If you want to use t-shirts and only t-shirts, you don't want to make a whole bunch of different products. Uh, the best terms are on Threadless. Threadless is a really good creator program for their shirts. They have really good cuts. They're very fair. Um, it's an interconnected marketplace. People are going to naturally discover your stuff organically. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Society6 is more expensive, but their products are also much better. Um, the artists that I know that do print-on-demand stuff all use Society6. Um, Redbubble is a trash fire in my With experience. Threadless, it's great because if you're doing a more uh, creative payment structure, if you will, and your artist, for example, Heather Gardner is our background artist and our concept artist for Call Me Sarah, and they have a Threadless for their own stuff because they're an artist. Well, when we sell Call Me Sarah and stuff, things that they've worked on, they automatically through Threadless get a cut of that. So everything that with their design that they helped make, they get a cut automatically. I don't even have to cut them a check. Threadless does it because in their little process, I can put X percent goes to Heather. And that is another way to be creative, to pay your people what they're worth, even if you don't get funding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, yep. Yeah. So not everybody has is uh, just buy a laser and then you can make all your own on demand stuff. That's <laughs> true. Just buy a 3D printer and a laser. Don't, don't sell them to that. anybody. You can just buy one. <laughs> That's how I felt when they gave me the keys to the moving truck. I was like, you're just giving me a 16 foot. Okay. What's <laughs> so the scenario? You can just like bulk order a bunch of fruit of the loom basic t-shirts and then you know kind of get like the, the 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 desk jet print you know iron on put them down iron it on there and true. then sell those for 10 bucks like mm. true, true. at <laughs> least at conventions to like oh yeah totally at conventions yeah mm. i guess there, there's also like indies that will do on demand stuff so you could talk to people who've had it done um and they like have connections to people who can make this sort of stuff like true, i have true, friends true. who make on demand things True. Um, so next bit of advice is scope, uh, scoping down. For Call Me Sarah, we had to cut, so big on accessibility, right? I didn't want to cut accessibility, so we prioritized that, but we did to cut some of it. We can't afford voice actors, at least not until after our Kickstarter, fingers crossed. Um, we had to cut a whole bunch of things I wanted to do because 
we can't. We had to get creative with reusing music in certain areas where it's not so obvious, but we wanted something unique to that area. Well, now there's a whole outdoor theme. And if you're outdoor, you hear this song. Things of that nature. Um, anyone else? Scope stories. Uh, okay. Um, scope story. I have the Grim and Tonic, which is a... I love that game. That. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Which is a game that I released prior to working on a current project. It was originally scoped out. It was very ambitious. It was an attempt to do a web serial visual novel. So it's like basically a web comic, but a visual novel. Uh, eventually, the attraction didn't. It didn't get enough of an audience, so pivoted it over into a standalone visual novel. Okay, cool. So I'm gonna do six episodes, and then life happened. So those six episodes eventually became three. So it's just adapting to things that are happening. So personal issues i was moving and having to navigate moving and i also have my own day job so my time became significantly limited in terms of managing this so i had to literally sit down open up spreadsheets say okay i can dedicate this much time to getting this much words done and then i need to dedicate this much time to qa and then this much time to art assets what can i do with this and mm. i managed to retool the story so that it fits nice and neatly within three episodes versus six um, some of that has to happen. I mean, anybody who works on any project really uh, should recognize that some things end up on the cutting room floor. It's just yeah. having the self-awareness to, you know, know when, when to manage that. Well said. The, uh, the hardest thing to do with scope, like everybody everybody knows how to scope. You know how to cut features. You know how to be human smaller. Um, the hardest thing is knowing when to scope. Um, mm. And I think that you should be scoping from the very beginning. You should be making your project to be like, if it has to stop at any point in time, we can I stop here and we can wrap it up and be done with it. Yeah. And you still have a game and it's still generally what you wanted to make. It might not be mm -hmm. as good as you wanted it to be. It might not have all the art, art assets you wanted it to have. Like my first game, I hate the forest art that I made, but it works. I don't have time to go back and make those trees better. They look like clouds. It's whatever. <laughs> they work. Honestly, Mario bushes. <laughs> Honestly, the best way to do that is to work iteratively and really just say, I want to get, you know, you know, movement mechanics working. So don't worry about movement and combat and leveling systems and blah, blah, blah. No, do the movement. Once you get that working and feeling good, then you say, now for the combat. And then, you know, the tiny little bits of combat. One little thing at a time. And as you're going through, you know, you'll look at your concept doc and be like, I don't really need that. And then you'll just naturally scope and be like, that doesn't fit with what I'm making now because I've taken things in a different direction. Games so. evolve. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Don't, don't feel like you're locked into the design doc you wrote. Honestly, that's why I don't write single design docs anymore. I really prefer having just a bunch of documentation and going back and forth between them. Mm. The last bit of advice we have before we throw to questions from the audience is build a community and make the game later. Maya, you've been quiet and you build oh. a community. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, <laughs> wait, yeah. Wait, that's kind of before Maya gets too started. Yes. Y'all got like five minutes and then we're going to yes. move everything over to Discord. So yeah, there you go. Sure. All right. Yeah. So uh, our community, uh, it is part of Toadouts Games, but it's also sort of self-funded. We have a Patreon and a Twitch. So in theory, it could sort of exist with to without Toadouts Games. So the fact that Toadouts Games didn't get funding is not an issue for Team Toadouts because we exist. We have Discord. We have the Patreon. 
Um, and if you can, if you have the time and energy to spend time on like building a community, because it is a lot of work, like don't definitely don't underestimate uh, the amount of work it is to uh, manage Discord, especially uh, for me, at least the checking in about of Discord, like I have to make sure like uh, with Christmas, I deleted Discord off my phone. I can only access it on my computer and things like that. So when I'm away from home, I cannot access Discord because Discord is work. Um, but if you can do it, uh, it definitely is worth it because we now have 200 people, something like that, who mm -hmm. care about our community and our games and then uh, they'll fund our Kickstarter. Yeah, that does go back into the Kickstarter because it's a numbers game, really. Like we can say, oh, people yeah. will believe in our game, but it's a numbers game. If you get like, for example, 70% of your community that will definitely at least get the tier that they buy your game for your Kickstarter, well, then you can kind of determine ballpark how successful mm -hmm. your Kickstarter will be at X price. So if you're mm -hmm. trying to fund X price and, you know, 70% at $15, you do the math, you can more or less decide is this going to be a complete waste of time of my Kickstarter or is this something that could viably happen? Yeah. Community is key. Questions from the audience, unless we'll, we'll just keep talking, but I think. Yeah, I, I just sent India a note. I was like, I'm pretty sure we could go for another hour and this would still be awesome because y'all are doing oh, yeah. fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to move from right here over to the Discord server. So if you're out there listening, go to discord.gg slash indie game business. There is a whole section under the conference channel that says post session hangout. We're going to all jump over there and then we're going to get our next talk scored up. And then I need that name of that print-on-demand place that lets you give royalties out to developers. Threadless. I'll, I'll, I'll link it to you, but it's Threadless. I, I may switch over. I've been looking for a different store to set things up at anyway. And, and the first thing I'm going to do is get Indie Game Business socks going because Danny already told me he would buy those. So. <laughs> he was oh. society for that. I think I told you that years ago. I've been waiting. <laughs> I only socks have so much time, Danny. <laughs> Don't we all, Jay? Don't we all? I have a real job, too, you know? <laughs> All right. Thank you all for doing this. This is exactly the stuff that we love having because it's stuff that we all need to hear because you know what? Shit happens sometimes and you don't get your ideal scenario and you have to go make it up. I've made yes. a 20 plus year career out of making shit up as I go along. So we you're an inspiration to us all. <laughs> That's <laughs> horrifyingly scary. Okay. All right. We're going to close this one down. Indy is coming back. Uh, give us like two minutes to, you know, cycle out the backgrounds. Like we've really got backgrounds. And Chase is going to come. We're going to talk about structure process for planning your game audio. So more, especially, you know, features hey. stuff for everybody. So, all right. We'll be back. Go to the Discord. We'll see y'all soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.